Hey listeners, before we get into this episode, I have a quick ask to make. I started this podcast as a research project on how to be a top individual contributor in the product design space. My goal for the show was to learn what it takes to be an individual contributor that's doing amazing, impactful work that they love doing day in and day out and getting paid top dollar while they do it. Becoming that type of individual contributor is the ultimate job security. With close to 100 hours of interview recordings, this has naturally led to the creation of the short form video articles that synthesize my learnings into 10 minute listens of actionable content. You might recognize these as my morning walk episodes or the hashtag shorts episodes. To my surprise, those episodes have been very well received and listeners have enjoyed the synthesis of what I've learned. This has led to the next chapter of my research project, which is beginning to synthesize what I've learned into a new newsletter called Thinking Out Loud About Design that you can subscribe to right now for free. Thinking Out Loud About Design is an email newsletter and podcast that basically contains all my synthesis for my long form interviews. It's pure distilled learnings that you can apply to your career immediately. This content is for you if you are a couple years into your career and you're trying to make that move from mid-level to senior designer and senior designer to staff designer. I mainly focus on becoming high-performing individual contributors in the product design industry. A free subscription gives you full access to the newsletter, podcast episodes, and website. You won't have to worry about missing anything because every new edition of the newsletter goes directly into your inbox. So my ask is this. If you have gotten any value out of the way of product design, or if it's helped you in any way or someone you know, please subscribe to Thinking Out Loud About Design and get the distilled learnings on being a staff-level individual contributor. You can find a link to the newsletter in the show notes of every episode of this podcast and on my LinkedIn page. Just look up Caden Damiano. Thanks again for listening and supporting the way of product design. I wouldn't be doing this if you guys weren't listening. Now, on to the show. Welcome to The Way of Product Design. I'm your host, Caden Damiano. This podcast has one mission, help product designers generate massive value for their clients, their companies, and themselves so they can do the work they enjoy the most. We know design is valuable, but how can you unlock the true value design in your work? To help with this, I interview top performers in design, product management, and engineering so you can understand what's valuable to your stakeholders, your bosses, and your customers. So enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. Hey listeners, today I'm talking with Erica Katayev, Senior Director of Product Management for Thompson Reuters Practical Law. Erica, thank you for being on the show. Yeah. Erica, could you just briefly just introduce yourself to the listener, kind of let them know who you are, and just tell us your story and where you've got where you, and where you've come from, where you are today, just so that they get a feel for who they're going to be learning from. Yeah, sure. So again, Erica Kataev and I work on Thomson Reuters practical product in product management. And I key part of my remit is innovation, innovation strategy, and really sort of that future thinking. So that's what I spend most of my day on. I came over to practical law about eight years ago. I was a partner at a law firm. So I come to the product management seat from the uh, customer seat, directly from the customer seat. I started as an editor. So Practical Law is a content product. We uh, draft expert content for attorneys. So it's it's by attorneys for attorneys. It's that expert, legal expert down the hall is, is how we like to talk about what we do at Practical Law. And I came over as one of those experts down the hall from my practice at a large AMLA 100 where I was a specialist in data privacy and data security. So came in through the side door. And before that, I was actually a musician. So I started out my career as an opera singer. So I was a trained opera singer. I spent some time in academia and then decided it was uh, time to do some businessy businessy things and and went to law school. And here I am, you know, so not quite 20 years later working on the practical law product. So it's, it's a labor of love. I like to call myself something of an accidental product manager, but I'm also a true believer and I, I get quite jazzed about what we do and how we do it for our customers. 
Yeah, you know, product uh, management and product design, like no one, not until recently, has planned to be in these fields. Kind of sounds like you you ended up not exactly where you planned for either path. You know, you went to law school. That's a very specific path. You went to, you know, the artist path, and you kind of just like went in the middle, a little bit. Still making stuff. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, like it's like kind of surprised both ways. I imagine. So I guess that's what's kind of super exciting to me about what yeah. I do is it's been an opportunity to marry those two parts of my brain, right? And I mm -hmm. I definitely am a creator at heart. I sat down at the beginning of the year and I was thinking about what's really important to me, you know, doing that year planning exercise. It's like creating, really creating. And I'm well, at least I get to do that at my at my work for sure. But, you know, I create music, I write music, I write poetry. I paint a little bit even though i was you know totally abstract i have no no real graphical ability so i get to do that i get to create but then i also get to superimpose my highly analytical side on top of that and my legal expertise i would say i i really landed in a plum spot for for my interests and strengths yeah def definitely based off your your background it, it helps i you know, I, I look at, you know, the kind of the field of like SaaS companies that come off as not immediately, oh, like that looks like really fun. Like working on uh, <laughs> like content for lawyers. I mean, I personally don't believe that there are any, any, any boring products um, because if you fulfill that kind of that job to be done for the, the target um, customer, like that makes their life very interesting. The fact that they get their job done well. I think like, so I yeah. just bought, I just bought a new car, actually my first new car. And yeah, driving's pretty like standard fare for most adults, at least in America. And it has like the lane assist where it actually like keeps me in the lane, kind of like self-driving, you know? And, it, mm -hmm. and I was like, I was like um, driving off an exit and it sensed that there was someone like right next to me and it like, move to the left for me i didn't even expect it but like that small little touch was kind of like a moment of delight like oh my gosh like the car's like literally yeah. keeping me safe and i wasn't expecting that you know it's not tesla or anything but like that i feel like that you could have those same moments of delight in any kind of product space. Yeah, yeah, no, so I, I get it. Lawyers maybe are thought of as being a little dry and a little boring and what could be even more boring than dry, boring lawyers, but, oh, I don't know, maybe the stuff they have to read and do all day, right? You know, it's a, yeah. it, it's a desk job. But I, but I can say to point, no, there are no boring problems, right? And that is what we do as product managers and product designers. We solve customer problems by building products for them. And so, you know, to the extent that you could make a case for saying lawyers are dry and boring, I have to say, as a recovering lawyer, I <laughs> don't think that applies to me and many of my friends, but I get it. You know, it's a desk job. It's a lot of reading. It's a lot of reading on case law and contracts and whatnot. But to the extent that you can make that case, you can say, well, our job is really to make it, to deborify it, right? To make it more exciting, to make it more fun, to make it a more enjoyable process. These people, you know, our customers have chosen to make their careers and make their livings in that space. And it's exciting to me to be part of helping them do their jobs better and, and with more joy, right? With more delight. So. Oh, absolutely. I think I, I can imagine, like, I think the trick to figuring out, like, oh, like, where, where can we really make an impact here in whatever, whatever job? Because especially, like, if you're listening and you're just starting in your career, like, you have to say yes to any opportunity to get in. And, yeah. and it yeah. might not be, like, the most, it might not be the most exciting company, but, I mean, there are exciting implications if you succeed. So, for example, like, in, you know, the practical law pr product, I can imagine that, like, if you if you do a good job, you could impact the the course of a case. Like if you're able to get like the right information to like a litigant and and more, right? I I think yeah. you know it it's this is a very t timely conversation because we we just sort of 
went forward with our mission statement as a company, Thompson Reuters as a company, which is to inform the way forward. And that is exactly what we do and have been doing for well over a hundred years, I believe, right? So the Thompson and Thompson Reuters is an outgrowth of, of the former West Publishing Company. That That's the company that, that publish publishes the the legal reporters you know we have a long history long storied history of delivering super important information to our customers to our, the market to the world you know we are our customers include governments and courts and you know not not just businesses right like we are part of that process and the information we deliver is critical to sort of the proper functioning of of really important institutions in this country, right? So our customers are part of are, are part of are those institutions, are part of that. Our business customers are working in those institutions. And then of course the Reuters part of Thomson Reuters is Reuters news, news agency. So you know, we are in the information business, but that is driven by just I mean, what is more important than information to the world and mm -hmm. not to, to get too lofty about it or too philosophical about it, but th that is a belief at the core, at the heart of what we do as a company, but also kind of what I believe as a person. And I thought that in law school, I have to say, when I was in law school, I actually had this professor who was quite interested in, in studying the law as a sort of like a humanity, right? And, and when I sort of shared with him was my belief that law is the ultimate humanity because of its importance in protecting those institutions. So, you know, I was a true believer as an attorney. I'm a true, true believer now as someone who develops products that, that help attorneys practice more efficiently. So there are no boring problems and information is definitely not one and how to disseminate it, how to deliver it. Yeah, we talked about before recording this that like, you know, we want we kind of want to focus the conversation on like how to surprise and delight customers, I think through any industry. And I mean, I think not just to kind of, you know, add to that thread on like just like that the law space. Just imagine that like justice has been served or not been served because maybe the the uh, lawyer did not have the work ethic to just read one more case you know or just like like look for one more bit, mm -hmm. bit of precedent like i mean that's basically the job you know my all my grandpa all my grandfathers um in my family are all like lawyers one's tax one's a corporate litigator one's <laughs> a corporate tax and when i hear them talk about their jobs it's not boring but it's like it's so much it's a game of it's really just debate at the highest level and, and sometimes the highest stakes of building yeah. a case and looking for precedent and scouring legal documents. And, you know, traditionally, you just had to work 80 hour weeks reading, 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 reading until you can find something that helps your case or hurts it. And just imagine those like cutting that time in yeah. half through like good cataloging and stuff. Like yeah. That. Yeah, yeah. So we so on the practical law side, we specialize in that the next step further, right? So we we have a flagship product called Westlaw that I'm sure is familiar to your grandparents and probably yeah. any attorney that would be listening to this. And and that's a wonderful tool. I used it all the time in practice, primary content, secondary source content, and just a huge repository of information. Practical law actually was born in the UK about 25 years ago, and it grew out of the sort of this other step in, in legal education. So if you go back to the Abraham Lincoln days, right? And so we're all sort of familiar with lawyers reading the law to learn the law and apprenticing with attorneys. And so one of the key pieces of attorney training really is working with other attorneys is having access to other attorneys and absorbing, taking on and otherwise leveraging their knowledge information, right? That, that's available to them. And so practical law then was born uh, in the UK, some, some solicitors I believe from a UK gold, uh, gold circle firm began a magazine that sought to replicate or, or built upon this this model of the of a knowledge specialist that that is common in the UK less common here in the US called a, a PSL I think practice support 
lawyer, I believe is what that stands for. And essentially what we seek to do is bring that attorney expertise into easily digestible um, content, right? And in doing so, we jumpstart an attorney's work. So we so we sort of take it to that next level as well. So it is all about what we do at Practical Law is all about helping attorneys be more efficient, be more effective, see the force for the trees, cut through the noise, because the proliferation of data and information. It, it's a blessing and a curse, right? You have better, you better information, you have more access, but then getting to the nuggets that you need, if you will, becomes that much harder. And so, you know, practical law solves that in one way by um, bringing together that attorney expertise. So we have 600 or so practicing or former um, practicing attorney editors that, that are on time that are responsible for scoping out, writing that content and bringing that expertise to the customer. And we on the product side then are, are tasked with packaging up that expertise in the most valuable, efficient, effective ways. Again, seeing the wheels of, of really what's a very important um, industry and, and really more than industry part of our, part of our culture, our society. You can tell I'm passionate about the, about the mission. Well, I mean, so if anyone's, I, I, I wanted to talk about this because I, I, I wanted to prove, and I know it's like kind of like it's my podcast, so like I could say if I prove something right or not, <laughs> but I wanted to prove that there's no such thing as boring products because like you just say, like, I mean, honestly, like you talk about like, oh, well, I don't want to get too philosophical. I'm like, this is the podcast for getting philosophical because really it is like like the i think great great products have been been made because they're based off very strong principles and strong <laughs> philosophies I, I think of so for example like a lot of uh, a lot of people talk about like strategy is like oh I, you need you need to tell me like what you're going to ship in the next year you need and there's a great example in escaping the build trap where it talks about how this like uh, CTO is just like no, we don't need to do discovery. You need to tell me what you're building for the next year and you need a strategy. And the the author was a, is a consultant and she said that like, no, you don't want a strategy, you want a plan. That's not a strategy. Mm -hmm. And what a strategy is, is it's it's your beliefs, your principles. Like it's it's kind of like the, 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 phil the phil philosophical framework essentially of like what you're gonna say no to and for what reasons. So that mm -hmm. you could focus yeah, on- Yeah, so it's sort of- Go ahead. Well, it's it's that first principles thinking, right? Like, so yes. what what are your principles as an organization? What is your mission, and are you keeping that in your in your in your windshield, right, right in front of you as you drive down the highway, right? So if we, I really do enjoy my metaphors. I warn you now. You know, if 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 the car, the company is is if the company or the product is the car driving down the highway right, to get to the destination that is the customer and solving the customer's problem. What are we keeping right in front of us to make sure that, that we stay on the, on the correct course? You know, how do we navigate? Because there's so many elements that, could, that go into this, right? Like there's so many inputs that we have to think about it as product managers, as product designers. We have to have a North Star. We have to mm -hmm. have a mission, you know, and we can say, we know our our mission at the top line organizational level, you know, informing the way forward. We're a content tech or a, a content enabled technology company, right? Like we're gonna build things that deliver you the content you rely on to to perform your critical mission, customer. Um, that that like that like says it all, and and that top line mission is is really super consistent with our. Um, individual product missions, certainly on the legal side, you know, which is which is where Westlaw and Practical are, right? You know, but it is about solving that customer problem and conviction in those principles. And I look, I have to be this way. I like this is what gets me excited. This is what gets me out of bed in the morning is is to be mission oriented. And you know, it, it helps that I come from that subject matter 
expertise background. But what I have found super interesting is just how transferable a lot of this is. I, I live in a house when we were chatting, getting to know each other, I was telling you how I'm married to a, an engineer, architect, CTO. He's a software CTO for, for a smaller company. And my stepson is a developer fresh out of school. And it, you should, the, the, the talks in our house, there's a lot of screaming at the TV about UX, you know, and, and you, it's, yeah. it's, uh, we get really passionate about it. Yeah. Like the, like if you if, like if you if you could figure out kind of like what the principles of, of the company are and if the company actually has principles like i think just that's like the first win you could have like when you're trying to make an impact in an organization is like understanding like what the yeah. vision is and like what the what what's kind of like the north star because then uh you could come in and just be like okay like so this is what you guys want to do and then like your bot your new boss is like Oh, this guy gets it. I don't need to, or this gal gets it. Like I, I, I don't need to teach them. I don't need to teach them what what the job is or what the vision is. Like they they get the vision, yeah, which means that they're like this much closer to actually solving the problem or getting in, or yeah, like asking the right questions. I definitely want to pivot into like how now that like you under like you understand that like there's no boring products and you kind of understand and you under the and you have a for understanding of the principles this kind of opens the door to that whole like surprise and delight thing now i obviously that's kind of like an overused phrase like for you like what do you think like for you what is like surprising and delighting customers like what is kind of mm -hmm. your, your mm -hmm. con con conceptual model of what that is because i'd love to really focus I mean, on that yeah so let's dig into that i i i think it's kind of a hard question because it, it's a little bit, it boils down to the old Potter Stewart statement, going back to my my legal days, you know, you, you know it when you see it, right? At the same time, you do, when it's your job to create it, you do have to do some thinking. You have to, you have to apply it in some way or, or put objective measure against it. Thinking through this, I would say, it starts with an emotional, a positive emotional reaction to the, to the product experience, right? Like, am I, are we creating a positive interaction with this product such that it is eliciting, you know, some, some good feelings, some good vibes. And that too sounds a little hokey and maybe high in the sky, but, but it's, but it's something that goes days of, of, product management or design experience. And, you know, that's when I, I first started back at TR eight-ish years ago, whatever. And we started building a product called Data Privacy Advisor. And I was put on it. I, I didn't have any product management experience when I started. I was the lawyer, right? I was the subject matter expert for data privacy. And, but I very quickly was rolled onto that core product team that was building that product, cross-functional product team. And I got to work closely with the, the designers and was sitting, I was part of the research for that. And I'll, I'll just never forget the wonderful ladies that I learned from in that, who, who are true design pros, really just owe a lot to them. They have these debates because they were talking like questions they asked i coming as a lawyer just did not understand that we were not essentially interrogating the our our interview subjects right and they were talking to me about well we want to get to the emotions that they're having and you know around their problems etc and and that just i did not I, did, I just kind of, it took me a while to process that. And by a while, I mean, probably a couple of years, but now I am a hundred percent in the seat of saying, oh, that absolutely is what it means to surprise and delight. It's to give that positive emotional experience or provide an experience that's eliciting that positive emotional reaction from, from the user. Now, what does that break down to? You know, I think it, it, it's around usability, it's around ease. It's it's around you know just eliciting joy through through both ease of interaction product as well as sort of aesthetics. You know we are aesthetic creatures. It's true. It's and it's it's surprising them with a more potentially in areas like ours, which is B two B information, 
surprising them maybe with a more consumer-like experience than, than maybe they're expecting. Because, you know, we now have a bunch of users who are trained in their daily, daily lives as consumers in, in how they, they interact with products, right? Every time every time I'm out there using a product, I'm being trained in some way by, by some of the just greatest minds in product who are you know, engaging me with their platforms, you know, Apple's the, the world, for example. Right. And, and it's kind of learning by learning by doing, but so it's about surprising them while at the same time, not upsetting their expectations, I think. So that was a rather long winded speech probably, but you know, I, I give it some, given it some thought. Yeah, no, um, like I, I, I am I'm pretty aligned to it because like, yeah, it's really just about, yeah, it is really just about like when you surprise someone or you delight someone, it's always like exceeding expectations. Like that, that really is kind of the, 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 the benefit there, but it's like, okay, well, if, all right, so like you want to exceed their expectations, it really comes down to getting an understanding of what their workflows are like really like yeah. doing the customer interviews to be like tell me about this process and then like kind of digging deep and kind of like trying to pull out like the emotions and the pain points and the the ex and the the disappointments that they have because then you're like okay cool i could design and optimize for like these aspects of this workflow to kind of meet their expectations. So I, I can imagine in like the, the practical law program, it would be like people are expecting like a long article, but instead they get like an actual like summarized answer or something like that. It's like, right? That, yeah, that's actually, that's super interesting because we just released a product feature where we were, we're, we're delivering sort of shorter answers, right? Because we know that sometimes when our users come to the product, sometimes they just need that quick answer. You know, what do lawyers do? They, they, they answer questions, lawyers answer legal questions. Sometimes they come to the product, they need that quick answer. Pra practical law is a great resource for that because, because of the nature of our product. And so we developed content around that in a, in a dynamic search feature we just launched, you know, but we also know that sometimes they use that question as an entry point to deeper research because so many legal questions are not going to be, you know, they're not going to be subject to a one and done type answer. They may need the quick answer. They may come back to do the deeper research or they may start their deeper research with that that quick answer question because it helps orient them and so going back to that kind of how users are trained in their products you know google has trained users to ask natural language questions to find helpful content so, and and that is how people research now they, they want to be able to ask questions and and sometimes too, especially in the legal space, you think you know the question you need an answer to, but what you discover in your research is that's not actually the right question. And so we built a tool to, to try to, to match that need. And I, you know, to your point about interviewing the customers, talking to them, it, it is not uh, to my mind, it is really not enough to even just understand the customer, the empathy with the customer is really, really critical to kind of moving the ball forward in a successful way. And, and that's um, a place where I feel like, you know, that's one of my strong points. I, I don't think every single person on the team has to be a subject matter expert or, you know, a, a deep empathist if word, but you know, being able to bring that empathy, customer empathy somewhere on the team, I think it is, is really, really helpful. So yeah, well, you know, that's interesting. So like, tell me about, I mean, if you can, I mean, I know like, you're not, if you can tell me a little bit more about how you came, like, how did you come to the conclusion that that feature needed to exist? Like the, the shorter answers feature. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, we know how we interact with different products out in the world. We know that other of our products have built in similar features. Uh, and of course we did customer, right? So it's a little bit of 
gathering information, quantitative or yeah, quantitative and qualitative analysis probably, right? But, you know, we, we gather the need, sometimes internal, sometimes external, you know, it's coming in from customer feedback, we're observing marketplace customers and we try to talk to customers a lot. You know, we have a, a pretty robust track loop that we've instituted so that we can can keep that feedback coming to improve the product. Think about the future vision for the product, right? Stay, stay the feedback in some ways, take the feedback, bring it together, you know, cut, organize it by themes. So really it, it's across that bag of tricks, right? But at the end, yeah. it all, you get it validated with a customer, I think. You know, you can't just guess at it, even are pretty darn sure it's right based on for experience or, or internal experience. I think that's another trap too, frankly. If, if, if you have a lot of subject matter experts on the team, are you going into the personal, the, the personal preferences trap or the personal use trap or personal experience trap? Like that's a tool. Personal experience for, for, to my mind is a tool in the toolbox. It does not replace customer, you know, doing the work, customer input. Um, yeah, doing the work. That's right. It, it really, I think it goes a long way towards creating some hypotheses, you know, and, and maybe help sometimes, but you have to be ready to be proven wrong too. I, I think that is such a critical lesson to learn. Um, be ready to be proven wrong, be ready to fail, be ready to not get it right, be ready to iterate, be ready to change. If, if you go into your projects with a mindset of curiosity, it, it goes a long way. Yeah, so do you think, you, do you remember the moment where like it clicked or like you, you've done the customer interviews, like what part like of the process do you feel like it clicked where you're like, you felt like very bullish that this was like a solid bet, you know, like that you feel like, okay, like this isn't, uh, this isn't super risky. I think we can invest in this. Like when was that moment? Yeah. Do you feel like, what's the story? I guess like in the, in the, in the case study, I guess I just be like, cause I know that yeah. for me, when I'm doing the research, I'm like, oh yeah, this is like the approach we should take to address this problem. Mm -hmm. Like, I just, I know when it like clicks, like, okay, problem space is very solidified now. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I would go back So we did some focus groups, you know, we, we, um, where we got customers in a room and step behind the glass. So like I said, tools in the toolbox, right? There are multiple different mm -hmm. ways to, to get feedback, but we were a little further down the line, you know, the concepts were out there. We, we thought we had it, you know, like we, we were feeling pretty good about ourselves, but you know, we went into those focus groups and we're behind glass and just like bit at it, you know, and it, it wasn't just that feature. So search is, is really fundamental to what we do as legal, as legal products and legal professionals. So search, that being said, it, that is also a trap when you're doing something really fundamental, just making sure you're re revalidating your assumptions periodically is super important. But yeah, when we, we step behind the glass, we listen to customers, we listen to them talk about it to each other. We listen to them talk about it in the context of how they would use those features in their day-to-day. -day. And they just got it. I mean, there's no other way to say it. And there's also, I think, personally, as, as a product person, I'm not sure there's much that feels better than the customer's air quote, just getting it. Cause you just feel like you did it. You, you unlocked the box. Let's go. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like they just kind of see a concept and they're like, Oh, this, this, this changes a lot of aspects of my work and they're excited about it. Like, and that's interesting yeah. about like focus yeah. groups because you know, like focus groups get a lot of uh, flack in the uh, industry, but I remember uh, there was like this uh, design leader on LinkedIn and he was, he was poo-pooing focus groups in his post. He's like, don't do focus groups. Like, and then someone else I know like commented, he's just like, why? I mean, it's, it's a tool for qualitatively yep. like, feeling out like, yeah, of course. Like, I don't think any qualitative technique, I don't even think any quantitative technique will ever tell you what's what execution of a product's going to succeed in the market. Really, it's just going to like, so like, yeah. example, like quant, quant data tells you what questions to ask because you see trends and you're like, okay, I want to yeah. ask questions about this. Qual data 
kind of tells you like what questions you should be asking for execution. Like, oh, interesting. Like they they talk a lot about this. Maybe we should try this approach or or this or this execution. And then, I mean, even like user testing doesn't even like tell you. I mean, it'll tell you if something's usable, but it won't tell you if something's going to succeed in the market. And really, yeah. like what's going to? Yeah, it's like. Um, but I yeah, like I mean, it's interesting how like you know focus groups. Well, think. So think about it, think about it this way, like yeah. how, if you're talking about surprise and delight mm -hmm. being largely measurable or, or some, at least somewhat measurable through emotional response to something, right? To your product, how can you measure that with like quant data? You know, like you have to see the people, you have to see the faces, you have to hear the passion in their voices. I think. Mm -hmm we're talking about something that is inherently human, you know, and, and that's not to say that data isn't absolutely critical and immensely valuable. It hundred percent is right. It, it, empirical data imp imply, you know, anything you can apply from data. Those are all critical tools in the toolbox. But at the end of the day, if we're trying to make people happy, it, it really helps to see their faces. You know, again, it's a tool in the toolbox. It, it may not be the right tool for the right for a given project or a given stage of the project. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways to kind of extract the information you need to like feel confident that like this is what the expectation is. I mean, it's. I almost feel like yeah. you know our jobs are to just figure out what the expectation is and then just meet or exceed that expectation in the form of yeah. software tools, you know, it's like without, that's... without frustrating their expectations too, if they have a mm -hmm. particular, a, a particular bent, right? Like think about experiences where, you know, a product changes something and you're just like, why, why did you do that? Why did you change that? That worked so well. And sometimes what happens is, you know, not infrequently, you as a user think, oh, well, I get it now. Once you get used to it, you can, first of all, you're shocked because you're a busy professional. And th this is especially true in, I, I think, B2B environments and knowledge workers, right? So we we design products here at Practical Law for knowledge workers, lawyers, people that spend all day marking down their time, usually in six minute increments and like really demanding jobs, lots of time on their pressure or lots of time pressure, lots of pressure to get it right. And yet also get a lot of it done and be super efficient, right? So what is something that is true in, in that environment as a human? Well, you don't have a lot of time. And so impatience with things that frustrate you pops up relatively quickly. And again, this is where I, as a, as a user of products, really can I'm I always like to say you know the good news is uh, the bad news is I have these things that this impatience with what you've shown me the good news is I'm like our you know one of our customers like I am the classic like customer example of someone's not gonna have patience with something that unless I get it immediately which sort of helps sometimes but sometimes it just kind of makes me grumpy but you know if you frustrate their expectations and not for an obvious result, that that's also bad too. So you've got to meet, you've got to exceed their expectations without frustrating them. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Like you exceed my expectations on how bad this is. It's like, I had very low expectations. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. That's a interesting, that's an interesting uh, problem to have. Where it's like, wow, this is yeah. so bad. Well, like, well, no, it's not even just bad. It's like, if you make me learn something new, it better be worth it, buddy. Right? Like, that's, that's uh -huh. kind of my, um, my grumpy lady take on that. <laughs> oh, well, so it's so true. Like, when, uh, with the way technology is, it's like when everyone's solutions just more form fields and, and uh, data entry. Yeah. It's like, and the products like, and it's, I always get so disappointed when the products like, oh no, you have to do a bunch of data entry for it to work for you. And, and, mm -hmm. and that works for like, that works for like Google calendar and stuff like that. But like, man, like if you, if I have to like do work to make it work well, 
you know, it's without like any kind of like smart features, like using the, my usage data to kind of anticipate what I want or something, yeah. something like that. It's like, it, you know, you're not out, you're not really on par with the way technology is going. And, and I think that's the challenge for any product people in the game, knowing that's okay, well, we don't want we don't want to just be like the equiv functional equivalent of a spreadsheet where it's up to them to make the magic happen. We want them to get value from us as soon as possible. And by doing that, I've always, and I've always felt that if people aren't doing customer research, usually the solution's pretty like form field data entry heavy, <laughs> like a calculator or something mm, type, mm -hmm. type experience. Mm, you know? like, yeah. Like imagine. Interesting. Imagine like in the, in like the, the practical law example, if you just didn't do the customer research, people would just be like, oh, what if we just made them fill out a bunch of like stuff that they'd be interested in? And then we just show them every single article with those keywords, and then <laughs> you're not solving the problem. You know, it's like, yeah, you're, you're not solving the problem. And I think that, I think, look, people want things to be easy. They, they just do all things like, yeah. Um, Maybe, maybe word puzzles, they want to be a little hard, but even those shouldn't be too easy, right? Like we are, we're just programmed that way as, as humans. We want those easy frictionless experiences. We want things to happen like magic, which this is a great, great thing about being in my role in the sense that I actually get, get away with saying, well, just kind of make it like magic, please, you know, to, to our tech partners or our R&D partners who then have the, the hard jobs of creating decks that make magic, so to speak, you know, but, but yeah, that's what people want. And I, I also truly believe, look, we have to set realistic and feasible roads. We do that, you know, we're, otherwise we can't deliver things. I think we also should be imagining the future or, you know, envisioning. I, I've, I've borrowed the term imagineer, I think, from our esteemed colleagues over at Disney, friends over at Disney, but like really imagining the art of the possible, but in a way that you could sort of hypothesize about how to get there, right? It's not so pie in the sky that there would be no obvious path forward. It's, it's investigatable. Um, but yeah, really imagining ahead of our, of where we are, right? Like beyond the state of the art, which I think is like super fun. And it's just a great part of my job. You know, I, I told you before we started, I feel like I landed just in the plum role of being able to bring together all these things that are really meaningful to me, like, you know, creating things and adding a little bit of art on top, you know, bringing happiness to people, making people more efficient, then also just applying the analytical stuff that I enjoy, you know, the puzzle pieces, but then also my legal training. And, and, and on top of that, my specific role, you know, I I've been given some, some leeway to, to imagine. And, and so it just, it's such a good job. Like I it just mm -hmm. being a product manager, being a product designer is just kind of fun. Yeah, it, it, I I always talk about like how it's just like it's the coolest job in the world, and especially if you have competent. So I always talk about how like design's fun, but like if you have a really good product manager that just like knows their job and knows mm -hmm. how to do it, oh, product design instantly becomes like one of the cool, like the funnest jobs in the world because you're just like, oh, whatever mm -hmm. I'm working on is a good idea because I know the PM mm -hmm. did their job <laughs> to like yeah. facilitate. Yeah the work so that we know where to like actually focus our efforts and yeah no it, it is it is such a it's such a cool job and i feel like super grateful to be in it because yeah you, your job is like basically figuring out how to productize like man it sounds so corny but it's like productize delight it's like if you, if you do your job like if you mm -hmm. do your job good you meet expectations that the the thing's usable it's okay but if you like really knock it out of the park, it's like delightful. And like you get to create positive emotions and people's ex like experience with the business. And yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the personal for, for, for me, and I suspect you too, as a professional, like, and we get to make stuff, you know, we like get mm -hmm. to be creative too about it, you know? And I think, yeah, it's just, it's a pleasure and privilege. And I, like I said, I know I feel a little corny sometimes because I am such a true believer, but I am. I'm a true believer in the mission. I'm like, 
a true believer in, in thinking that good design and good product design can make the world a better, happier place. And I believe that where the industry where I get to do product, product management design is like an important one where, you know, to, to your point, when we first started talking, like we're critical to the proper functioning of democracy and legal institutions and, and also big, you know, drive business and professionals. And, and I get the special kind of feel goods of it being my former peer. Like I, I get to sit in a seat where I get to think about the problems I used to have all day and think, think about getting solutions for them and making live you know, the working lives better for those people, improving their workflow, improving their access to information and doing so in a way that's, that's enjoyable, delightful. And, and it's, it's, yeah, it, if, I don't know, I think it's, it's important. It's important to me. And I think it, it is very rewarding to be part of that creative process. Oh, Oh yeah, for sure. And also like, I mean, I just, I know for a fact that like this makes the world a better place because I think like the, the, in the cultural zeitgeist, the most valuable companies in the world are companies that just have very strong products. I, I, found mm, that, yeah, I saw this, I saw this really funny personal finance post where this guy talks about talked about how like uh, the Tesla's like the Fang companies basically make up like over 25% of like the S&P 500 or you know so it's like if you got an index yeah, fund yeah. those companies are driving 25% of the value and he's like yeah you could you could complain about big tech all you want but they've helped you like so <laughs> like they they've they've made it so that you could retire one day and and if you're you know investing in index funds and stuff like that but it's just because they're just People want it. People just want Teslas. People like, even though like Microsoft's doing a good job with their computers, like people still want Macs. You know, uh, it's it's mm, yeah. It's so yeah. It's so true that like people people want to use people want to use Notion. People want to use at least designers want to use Figma. I mean, because it's just a better product. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's super interesting about those big tech companies because one thing that they've done rather successfully, somewhat controversial, controversial sort of harness human psychology or human behavior and sort of make their, their products very compelling, right? Like people want to use them because they're very satisfying to use for sundry reasons. And I think that's an area where, where we can all learn from too, you know, to say like, well, what is it that makes those enjoyable experiences? You know, what is it that, that drives that customer satisfaction and makes them want to start with your product or log in every day or, or, you know, that goal, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of learnings out there. And I, I would say other great thing about, about this role and, and what we do in particular as product managers at, at TR is, and I assume everywhere, but you know, this is my experience. It's just a constant learning game, you know? And I, I really get jazzed about that. You know, there, there is no end to what we do. We just continue to learn. There's always something to learn. There's something new to learn about the customer. There's something new to learn about their problems. There's something new to learn about how we, you know, what the solutions are and how we could execute on delivering them. There's something new to learn about delighting them such that they'll continue to use them and, and um, have trust in us going forward. Like I never, there is not a day that I can work learning something new. And again, all of these things, it sounds very personal, this conversation about my feelings, but in the end, that is where the opportunity is for our customers, right? So if, if we're focused on these, these rewards, they're very motivating to deliver for the customers at the end of the day, the products they're looking for. Wow, I can't think of a better way to kind of put a bow on that line of questioning, you know, just that conversation. Like, it's it's so true that I, I always, I feel like when people don't get product, when they're just kind of like, yeah, we're done. And I'm like, no, there's always work to do. There's always, 
you can never like completely understand the customer. Like there's always work to do. There's always things to improve. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at it, look at into it. They've made, they've iterated and improved upon TurboTax for years, like for decades. Yeah. And like, it's because they're always just obsessed with the customer and their problems, even no matter how small they are, you know, and that's, yeah, that's what, that's why I'm always just, I always tell my wife, I just don't have boring days. I mean, some, some of those like unboring yeah. days are like bad days because it's like debating all day and just using a ton of emotional energy. But like, yeah, there's just, there's no uninteresting days. Like every day is just kind of like a new episode in a Netflix series where there's just, there's just intrigue and drama <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and, yeah. and new, new, new insights, new, new breaks in the case, you know, and like, I don't know. Yes. Yes, yes. New breaks in the case. That's right. And I have to say, you know, it's funny because the skills I learned as a lawyer definitely tra were transferable to, to product management. You know, it's investigation and analysis and problem solving and critical thinking and, you know, all that stuff. So, yeah, ne never a boring day. Never a boring day. Erica, do you, do you feel like there's anything that needs to be said before that hasn't been said yet? that what we like you think should be said this is a really weird question i'm, I'm like i'm butchering <laughs> this yeah like do you feel like there's anything that needs to be said before uh, we sign no i don't think so i think we've covered a lot of ground i just i would thank you for letting me come and and ramble a little bit i really am passionate about what we mm -hmm. do here at thompson reuters and practical law in particular and i i love to talk about it i think particularly it i mean for for when I say I went from being a lawyer, people understood what that was to now I'm a product product manager. They didn't necessarily. And then I, I'm really passionate about kind of pre preaching the gospel, so to speak. It's um, super rewarding to to spend our time uh, delivering these solutions and and critically important. Um, to, to us as, as a mission. So thank you so much for the time. Yeah, thanks, Erica. Thanks for coming on the show. You have a good one. Yeah, you too. Take care. Thanks again for listening to The Way of Product Design. One quick favor. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your network, your friends, and hit that subscribe button on this show wherever you're listening to it. Thanks again for listening to the show. And I'm really excited to bring more awesome interviews and content your way. So keep listening. You won't be disappointed.